0: well welcome back to crazy faith talk i'm sarah
1: i'm steve and i'm erica and uh, we welcome you to the beginning of the church's season of Lent. Here on Crazy Faith Talk, we have often taken the time to uh, look at a topic or a series throughout this season that somehow corresponds with this a season of 40 days that leads us and the journey with Jesus that takes us to the cross and resurrection. So while maybe it's not appropriate to say happy Lent, somber and penitent Lent to all of you, but this year um, we thought we would look at uh, the temptations that face, or some of the temptations that face the church, capital C, like the wide church, the community of Jesus followers, um, and maybe how those correspond to the kinds of things that Jesus faces in his own ministry and life. So over the course of these weeks, uh, we might be looking at maybe things that are beyond uh, like, individual little things, like, should I take the extra cookie from the cookie jar, but things that are maybe a little more deeper, systemic, and um, insidious in our life, um, but that have direct implications for all of our lives and for the church together. So, uh, how, how should we begin to wrap our brains around this conversation?
2: So, we're going to start by looking at the temptations of Jesus. As Steve said, we're at the very beginning of Lent. Um, if you're in a liturgical church that follows a lectionary, you probably just read one of these passages this past Sunday. Um, As we begin this season, we always remind ourselves of the temptations that Jesus went through, uh, which can be found in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4. Um, So we're going to kind of delve in and see exactly what Jesus faced, how he handled it, and hopefully it will be an encouragement for us and how we can better handle our temptations.
1: Sure, sure. So as you mentioned, um, both Matthew and Luke give sort of fuller versions of this story it seems like they mm-hmm. they're both tapped into the same tradition mark's gospel has just this very very short version that is like two sentences long uh jesus was driven out from the uh, uh baptism scene by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by satan uh and um in mark's version there's wild beasts and angels around um To me, I think what's interesting, just before you get into the details of of any of the three of them, it's that all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Mm -hmm. um, connect the timing of this with immediately following Jesus' baptism when the voice from heaven has said, you're my son, you're the beloved, and in some ways matthew mark and luke for all the differences are really framing this as a okay if you're the son of god then what does that look like how are you going to embody that role if you're this messiah figure what will that look like um and that in some ways they are all variations on the theme of trying to get jesus to choose a path other than the way of self-giving love the way of the reign of god um and that all the the various particular episodes that we'll explore maybe a little more in depth are all various ways of getting, trying to get Jesus to uh, choose a different way of embodying his role as son of God. But I I guess I want to start, does that, does that feel like that rings true or are there things that other ways you would frame what's going on in the big picture?
0: No, I think that's exactly how I would frame it. Like uh, I, Because I, I always liked that connection of, okay, Jesus has been baptized. He ha- He at least has heard the voice declaring mm-hmm. him God's son. Now he kind of has to figure out what that means. Because mm-hmm. I think that how he defines Messiah is different than how everyone around him would like him to define Messiah, right? Like they're looking for that conquering hero, that military leader who's going to drive out Rome. Like Mm -hmm. that's what the people would like to be saved from. Yeah. And Jesus has to go, no, that's not, that's not who I am. That's not my mission. And I think having him kind of figure that out or, or even right from the beginning, he knows what his mission is and we can kind of start to see it during the temptations.
1: Yeah. And in that way, then like that helps pick up another theme that I've often, uh, and I think I think is there in the temptation stories that there's a parallel between Jesus 40 days in the wilderness and the ancient story of Israel being wandering in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 years, rather. And that that's sort of a, OK, you've been set free from enslavement. How are you going to be God's people? And sometimes even Israel is called God's son or God's child. And so that sense of how are you are you going to be the kind of alternative people God intends you to be, or are you going to sort of get sucked into being a new Pharaoh's Egypt or being like all the other nations around? And so like the the wilderness is a place where it's intended for you to succeed and thrive and choose the right way. In the wilderness, ancient Israel keeps you know blowing it and and complaining and you know wanting to go back to be slaves in Egypt, um, and that Jesus then in a sense like has to embody or fulfill what. Uh, in, in the wilderness story the, the wandering Israelites can't do but that Jesus then embodies but it's that question of how do I do will will I will I embody this role I've been called to God's way uh, the way that leads to the cross the way of suffering love or will I pick some other easier way that's maybe more palpable, pal- palatable to people so if, if that's in the background um, both Matthew and Luke who give us more detailed versions of the story start with the same first temptation the first particular episode right so there's this tempter figure Mm -hmm. uh matthew and luke use the word devil diabolos or devil mark uses the word satan um which again sort of calls to mind we've had conversation about satan being more like god's prosecuting attorney god sort of the the accuser so it's almost like god is allowing this whole this whole scene to unfold with for jesus to hopefully get the clarity he needs about who he is but that first scene involves um jesus who's now very hungry uh being offered what if you just turn some of these rocks that are around here into bread? What what what's going on there?
0: I love this temptation because I feel like this is the one I would fail. And <laughs> you know, because we've all had that like you're so hungry that you feel like your stomach is eating itself and like you you, you know you're you're starting to feel like kind of lightheaded and you like maybe are even getting hangry. And like you'd eat almost anything. And so to have the temptation be hey you have the power and the ability to turn stones into bread why don't you go ahead and do that like in my head as somebody who has experienced hunger it's like yeah why don't you just go ahead and do that like what's the harm so like i really like that this is one of the ones that jesus has because to me it's the most relatable like you know, I do not feel any temptation to jump off of a temple or to have world domination. I have no <laughs> desire for those things. But gosh, when I'm hungry, I certainly would love some bread. Yeah. And this a... isn't
2: just like a a little hunger, like you've missed a meal or you haven't right. eaten all day. Like he's fasted for 40 days, you know, and I can't, I can't imagine. I have a friend who's done that and I just... I can't, I yeah. too, like I top out of two and I'm done. Yeah.
1: yeah. <clears throat> and the other thing that, that gets me about this, that that sort of like to me reveals just how uh, clever and insidious the the tempter figure is in this story is that this isn't a sinful action, you know, like this isn't like an obvious, you know, go rob a right. bank or go, you know, um, kick somebody in the shins or go cover thy neighbor's donkey. Um, there, there's clear rules against those things, but like, jesus you're hungry you've got the power there's no there's not nobody gets harmed by this right and so like jesus response isn't like no that's sinful i know the rules it's it's not that it's against the law or against god's commandments to eat or to turn stones into bread and Later on in all the gospels, that's the one miracle all four gospel writers include. Jesus does multiply loaves in this miraculous meal so that a big crowd of people gets fed. In Mark's gospel, happens twice: once with five thousand people, and once with four thousand people. Um, so, like it, it's again, it's not like oh well, uh, this is this. It's a sinful action to do miracles around bread. Clearly, it's mm-hmm. not. Um, but again, it sort of comes down to: will you use this divine? status or power you have for your own self, you know, for, for your own comfort, or are you willing to say, no, there's, I, I'm, I'm going to share the common limits and boundaries of humanity. And so mm-hmm. human beings get hungry. And so rather than the moment I'm uncomfortable, I'll insulate myself from that pain or discomfort. I'll bear that. I'll experience humanity in all of its fullness. So being hungry means yeah, that's part of being human. I, I, I guess I think that's at least a part of it.
2: I think it it has so much more to do with food because Steve, you said, you know, Satan tells him, you have the power to do this. Mm -hmm. And really all three temptations deal with Jesus's power to do something.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And so like, yeah, you can take this down that Jesus is hungry. I get hungry. I would give in to this temptation. But it's so much more, like when you said that he has the power, it just struck me like that's what this is all about. Not because he's hungry. That's a part of it. Mm -hmm. but like he has the power to fix that immediately with nothing around him right and he chooses not to do so
1: right right and to me that that also suggests that there's an important difference between this moment and when jesus uses whatever power is at his disposal in ways that heal or help other people that like jesus doesn't say no i I won't use my power ever to help anybody but jesus Mm -hmm. does people jesus does you know calm the sea so it, whatever it is to be the messiah whatever it is to be god's son it's not that jesus is opposed to being open to god's creative power that brings life to people but that it's not i won't just use that for my own to insulate me from what's difficult and right. um, and and that seems to be an important uh difference M- you might even say too i i don't i don't know how how much i'd lean on this but I, i've heard some people point out too that maybe the temptation as well is um you could be the popular folk hero if you can give them all bread i mean like you know imagine that you could do this for everybody not just you jesus but you could be the one who um mm-hmm. you know promises a you know, chicken in every pot you could be the one who i mean the, the the famous line is that the romans you know said you can control the masses if you give them bread and circuses right that like empires stay in power if you give everybody a little dole of something free and keep them distracted long enough there may be a piece of that, like, you could do that too, Jesus. You could have everybody fawning over you, and you could, again, rule the world. If you're the guy who gives them, um, you know, a, a, a free loaf of bread every week or every day or whatever, and you'd have them literally eating out of the palm of your hand, you can make yourself king that way. And again, that part of Jesus' response is, no, that's not how I'll do things. That's not how God's kind of reign or, or kingdom works. Are there other... Um, uh, pieces of that temptation, or should we move on to what, what follows in, in the, the temptation narratives in Matthew and Luke?
2: Just one other thing, I will say Jesus answers all almost all these temptations, at least two of them um, with scripture.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, and I think that's very important for us. I was just hearing somebody today, talking earlier today, talking about making sure that you're in the word and and knowing what God says, so you can hear, better hear God's voice.
1: Sure. And
2: so, you know, when, when Jesus was tempted to make this bread, he says, no, uh, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, and so he knows, and he'll later say, like, I have food that you don't know of, right. when mm-hmm. he's talking to the disciples. And I have to assume, kind of based off of this, that at least part of that is the word of God sustaining him.
1: And um, And it's noteworthy too that all three times where jesus responds with scripture they're all quotes from deuteronomy so they're all out of the torah like the heart of ancient israel scripture mm-hmm. so it's nothing like that's on the margins and that like there's nothing from the apocrypha or from the first enoch i mean like these are like things that yeah. anybody would heard oh yeah jesus is quoting the heart of our scriptures um
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um so that yeah that that's important that jesus knows how to respond knows who he is and is is grounded in in uh the the scriptures uh that that would have been part of his tradition growing up in judaism um it'll be worth noting too before the end that once the tempter gets wise to his game the tempter starts quoting scripture back at him too a a battle of who's got the bigger bible verse which maybe also uh points out like that we we don't always get to settle questions with who's got a bigger sack of bible verses on their side because clearly the devil's great at using bible verses too (laughs) um but yeah, that, it's, it's that, G, that Jesus doesn't sort of like say, give me an hour to think this over. But the way the story is told, Jesus has a clarity because he's already grounded in. No, wait a second. I don't I don't need to rely solely on bread. But no, I'll trust that God will provide and I'll trust on what God says. Yeah, that, that's an important mm-hmm. piece. So that sort of leads things forward then, depending on which gospel you're reading, either Matthew's or Luke's. Um, the second temptation in Matthews is, uh, that the, the tempter takes Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple and says to him, um, well, if you're the son of God or the Greek could be translated since you're the son of God, okay, you're the son of God. So then jump from the corner of the temple here and I bet an angel will catch you because after all, and this is where he quotes scripture, uh, okay. he has said, uh, he, he's, he's sent his angels concerning you. They'll bury you up lest you dash your foot against the stone right so there there's this quoting of there's there's language in the in the psalms that uh, god will protect you and of course the the passages quoting from psalm 91 um isn't necessarily making a prediction about the messiah it's just sort of like is this promise of god's protection on whoever is praying in that psalm um but the tempter sort of wants jesus to take the bait you could use your messianic divine powers and have angels at your beck and call, protecting you from even stubbing your toe, uh, even if you do something as reckless as jumping from the top of the temple. What, what else is going on in this dynamic? To me, this always has felt like the weirdest of the temptations because it feels more like a fraternity dare. You know, like you know, jump from the top of the temple, do something crazy. Like, but what 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 else do you see going on here?
2: Now I think of it, Steve, I'm with you. Like it, it doesn't fit. Kind of that, it has that power dynamic to it. You know, you mm-hmm. have the power to command the angels to protect you, but it's so different than the other two, mm-hmm. um, you know, and like, you're hungry. That's, that's a normal human thing. Like, take care of that. Or you want world power. Well, look at Caesar and the Rome right. and, and all that you know, dominating for world power. And then what normal human being <laughs> just stands at the top of a high tower and says, oh, I'm going to jump and hopefully God will save me
1: right right although it, it is interesting to me how in some ways that temptation in in some form like i often hear like this unspoken theology of a lot of folks with like you know nothing bad will happen to me because i believe in god and therefore i know i won't get into a car yeah. accident or i believe in god therefore i know yeah. that you know the doctor's report will be like and like whoa 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 let's not write checks that god did not intend to cash right um that sometimes we sort of speak with like a magical thinking that because i'm a believer because i'm a christian because i'm a you know I, I understand myself to be a child of god therefore the bad stuff won't happen um and we sort of imagine that that's the deal right after all i'm a i'm a good well-behaved believer so um you know cancer won't get me or i won't lose my job or whatever and again that, that feels to me like n- maybe just different in details but of the same cloth as Leap from the top of the temple because, after all, won't God send angels? I mean, it, it sounds like, in some ways, it's a it's a pitch to prosperity theology or God, you know, health and wealth gospel. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're a believer, the bad stuff won't happen, and God will supernaturally protect you from all the bad stuff. And here's Jesus response going Ah, that doesn't sound right.
2: It maybe there's a connection. Then later, you know, if Jesus isn't willing to sacrifice himself by jumping off the temple now. But he is willing to sacrifice himself later on the cross like right just right, that right. proof that <clears throat> yeah not every th- because you're a believer right. um, because you're the son of god doesn't mean that god's always going to rescue you right you so, know maybe- I, I i'm pretty sure satan tempts him again or at least the people mock him and yeah. say you know call down the angels
1: yeah to, yeah to bring you
2: down from the cross and he doesn't do that either
1: that I think that's a huge piece, and and it seems to me even clearer mm-hmm. in Luke's telling when at the end of the whole temptation narrative, Luke says, "And the devil left him for another opportune time." And then from mm-hmm. the cross, you get that real clear echo when the crowds are like, "If you're the son of God, save yourself." And and it's that same logic, right, of like. If if you've got that status, you shouldn't have to do the painful stuff. Call on God, call in the favors so that you don't have to yeah. endure um and do this without suffering, without pain, without what you know, whatever. Um, in um in Matthew's passion story, there's a scene, I think it might even be in the in the garden where um uh, you know the 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 Uh, police come to arrest Jesus and the mob is there and Jesus' disciples are like, should we fight him off? And Jesus goes, don't you think I could command, you know, 12 legions of angels to be here if I called them? That's Um, it, yeah. Right, and so like, and so again, Jesus sort of seems to say, as Matthew tells it, It's not that Jesus doesn't have access to whatever divine firepower there is, but to say, no, this is a deliberate choice. That's not how we do things. That's not how the reign of God comes. So here the tempter is sort of, you know, you could even call an angel, even if you willingly jumped off the edge of the temple, the angels would be there ready to pick you up uh, so you wouldn't even stub your toe. Um, And then when the, the sort of big moment comes and Jesus could have launched a revolution or started an insurrection or fought off and crowned himself king or something like that. And he deliberately doesn't. That again suggests to me that, that this is about: will you use the the coercive power uh, that everybody imagines you have, or will you say no? That's not how. That's not what angels are for. <laughs> <laughs> it to me it also feels like this whole dynamic reminds me of. Um, um, yeah, I I, I I remember reading in particular in um, Greg Boyd's uh, two volume work the crucifixion of the warrior god where he talks about how often in the hebrew scriptures the title the, the full title for god that sometimes in english is translated lord of hosts yahweh sabaoth that word "hosts" in english we don't use contemporarily anymore but it really means like big masses of armies right that god is always sort of pictured in the hebrew scriptures as you know god yahweh who commands the angel armies and that that's sort of regularly as if to suggest god's power and might and that Jesus sort of acknowledges that and also at the same time inverts it here, that it's like, yeah, I've got angel armies at my disposal. I'm not debating that, but that's not what I use them for. I'm not here to conquer or just to insulate myself from danger. Um, so it's it's weird that I mean weird and beautiful maybe, that Christianity has has said, yep, the same God who we confess as the God who commands angel armies is also the one who chooses not to deploy those angel armies. Uh, when push comes to shove in the temptation story or even at the cross or 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 in the garden
0: i think that the second and the third which you know get flipped depending on matthew or luke yeah has such a nice tension of you have power and authority Mm -hmm. you know for the you know jumping off of the temple it's you have power and authority over the divine uh, like the angels how are you going to use that power and authority Mm-hmm. you know in the third or sometimes in the second the um you know the jesus is taken up to a high mountain shown the kingdoms of the world and the devil says that they would be his jesus mm-hmm. if jesus would just bow down to satan
1: yeah
0: and you know it, it's it's that that one I always feel is a little bit more like Jesus does already have power and authority in the world.
1: Mm-hmm. How
0: is he going to use it?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the in the third scene, as as you're sort of uh, teeing up for us, uh, the the storytelling says the devil takes jesus up to a high mountain so he can see all the kingdoms of the world and i guess that's sort of a generic sort of you know you get a good view you get the gist you could see everywhere around and Mm then the the devil says okay i'll give you control over all these if you'll bow down and worship me um and again as as you pointed out earlier erica jesus responds with with uh, a scriptural response and this one is sort of a real clear like you know you've overplayed your hand satan this is an obvious this one is breaking a commandment you should only worship the lord your god right that, mm-hmm. and maybe the first two were like yeah there's nothing sinful about jumping from the temple maybe it's reckless but it's not against the rules officially and you know the stones in the bread that's not a rule breaking but here worshiping something that isn't god um yep that that's a clear violation of the number one commandment nope not going to fall for that one um and yet in another sense is um might be the most uh alluring or tempting in that it's You know, you can see all the rottenness in the world, Jesus. You can see how wicked and rotten Rome is and all these other empires, how terrible they are. You could be the one who brings justice. You could be the one who rules things rightly at the point of your sword. Why don't you be the conquering king and you can make it all right? Um, That in some ways, it feels like uh, you could, with good intentions, convince yourself, yeah, this isn't so bad. if, If I get to be in charge and I can make everything right the way I want it to no price is too high to pay. Uh, I'd be willing to, I mean, like so many people throughout Christian history have sort of basically made that deal and said, in order to have power in order, and we'll make the world right the way we see fit and um, up selling their souls figuratively um, in order to, to make that happen. But because it, it, presents itself so alluringly. Really. Like that that the tempter doesn't offer rotten stuff. The tempter offers good stuff. I mean, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. I love a world where I get to call the shots That sounds wonderful. Um but um it, it it comes at too high a price.
2: You you said Steve, the tempter offers good stuff.
1: And I think and we've talked about that before
2: on this podcast. You know, so often we think temptations are glaringly like, you know, angel on one shoulder, devil on the other, Right, you know, it's very clear. Like this is bad. You shouldn't do this. Right. And, and but then like we said, bread, eating bread when you're hungry, when you haven't eaten in 40 days, mm-hmm. it's not sinful. Right. That That's natural. Right. That's just, you know, keep sustaining the human body. Right. You know, um, you know, in here, this idea of taking over and having all the power the problem is Jesus already has the power.
1: Right, right, right. Well, and and I mean that that's part of the I suppose the other the other uh, hitch to this too is that like you could say well wait a second does does the tempter actually have what he have command you know to to offer what he's offering, um, mm-hmm. and there seems to be this interesting tension in the New Testament of like sometimes Jesus will talk about the the uh, the devil as the ruler of this world as though yep the devil does rule the world systems and all that kind of thing or is behind it all yeah. other times they will sort of acknowledge nope it's always God it's always still been God's God is the rightful you know sovereign over all creation uh, and and that um, uh, the the tempter is just a, a pretender or a usurper or something like that but yeah that that tension is there too to me yeah whole- not only but
2: not only does Satan make things look promising, but he makes promises that he can't uphold.
1: Right. You know? Right.
2: And then, yeah. then you fall for his schemes and then you realize, oh, wait, these promises, it's like a scam. You know, oh, you can get, this Nigerian prince wants to give you all this money.
1: And then you realize <laughs> you have
2: to send him like half the money to get the money that they promised you in the first place. And that's how Satan pulls it, like, let, let me show you all these things that I can't really give you, but I'm going to attempt to give them to you anyways. And Jesus is like, no, no, you don't have the power to give those to me.
1: Right, 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 right. It, to me, it almost feels like um, when... Like the the Nazi war machine conquered like France or something like that. Like in a sense, they held control over things, but they are not the rightful rulers of that territory. So like if you're if you're a French person who's deciding where your allegiance goes, will you conspire with the Nazis and be part of the Vichy, you know, uh, uh, traitor government in order to, you know, and, and say, yeah, they have legitimacy. Or will you say, no, you're not the rightful rulers of this place. This is France. This should be ruled by the French. Uh, and to say, in and, and, and a way, it's a question of whose authority or whose reign do you recognize? You know, like, will Jesus say, yeah, Satan sure looks like you control everything. I'll, I'll recognize that you have the authority to give this to me, even though he's a usurper. Or to say, no, this is God's universe. Only only God controls this and you don't get to offer what, what is really yours. To me, this temptation always calls to mind um, a quote of uh, Jacques Ellul, uh, who said something like, in the wilderness, uh, Satan offers Jesus um, political power and rule over all the nations, and Jesus rightly says no, but the church keeps saying yes and falling for this temptation. Um, mm. And it is such a damning line to, to recognize how many times over the last 20 centuries christianity as a institution you know has said yeah we know this story but we could do it better than jesus or maybe jesus didn't realize and, and that you know, we know we end up building empires whether we call it the holy roman mm-hmm. empire um or um uh Constantine says, let's let's make Christianity the official religion of the empire. And now it's punishable by death not to be a Christian or um, Calvin's uh, Geneva, where people are put to death for being heretics. I mean, like, we keep doing that and confusing um, the way Jesus operates with the trappings of political power or nation states or empire building. And it seems like everybody who does it goes in thinking they're the good guys. You know, nobody goes mm-hmm. in wearing the black hat, twisting the mustache and going, ah, I'm going to ruin everything. They go in thinking, finally, we'll be able to put things right because we'll be in charge and we can make everything the right way. Uh, we'll just punish all the wrongdoers. Um And it always blows up on our faces.
2: I remember once hearing like the three temptations that Jesus faced were like all encompassing of the types of temptations we face mm-hmm. in the world and and i think that's right i mean are exactly you know a for a or, or are they the same no you know we're not going to have satan tempt us to eat bread or jump off the temple but like the idea behind them sure you know like we said with the first one it's not sinful to eat bread it's sinful to use power to to take care of yourself when there are other ways to do so mm-hmm. you know it's um obviously worshiping and bowing down and and trying to take over the world for even (laughs) with the best of intentions right is not the way God has called us to act as Christians. Right. So it's just interesting when you really start to dig down in them you you see like all all the temptations I face on a daily basis have some sort of connection to these temptations that Jesus faced.
1: Right, right, right. So actually, that's exactly where we anticipate the rest of this series to go. Now that we've sort of gotten Mm -hmm. our footing here in the gospel stories about Jesus temptations uh, over the coming weeks throughout this season of Lent, we're going to be taking a look at what kinds of things might uh, we as Christians or the church as community be tempted to do or to give into in our context in 21st century, let's say, America. um, And... um, how, how might the stories of how Jesus navigates those temptations maybe give us direction as well so that we don't just treat the story as just a weird thing that happened a long time ago, but good thing I don't have to deal with, you know, Satan tempting anymore. But no, we, we still face the temptation, and it always presents itself as reasonable, as rational, as it makes so much sense, just, you know, just do this, um, that hopefully we can find this useful for how we navigate our lives um, following the way of Jesus today. So with that in mind, we uh, hope you'll join us next week as we continue this Lenten journey through the temptations of Jesus and his followers here on Crazy Faith Talk.
2: See you all. Bye.